I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Story time. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I saw something on Monday night that still has me totally shaken to my very core. I have always loved nature. 
I love the woods, I love hiking and camping, fishing. I'm really into mycology so I'm out looking for mushrooms and various types of fungus whenever I get a chance. The weather was absolutely beautiful on Monday for this time of year, so towards evening time, I decided to round up some of my walleye gear and head down to an old train trestle crossing the Mahoning River in Niles, Ohio. I had parked my car about a mile and a half from the trestle so I could walk the tracks and hit a few other spots along the river on my way down there. By the time I reached the trestle, it was pretty much dark. I was wearing a headlamp at the time so I had a depending light source. At this location, there is a lake directly across the river, which the two are connected by a small overhead dam. I was there for 15 minutes when all of the sudden, this overwhelming feeling of dread came over me. I switched my headlamp on to turn around to start back up the river bank, and right behind a big sycamore tree, I saw what looked to be a very large animal, kind of kneeling beside or behind it. As I locked my eyes on it, I completely froze. I knew I was definitely seeing something there, but my mind couldn't process it. What I was looking at didn't make any sense. The thing that I kept saying to myself was, animals aren't supposed to look like that. Right as I'm thinking this, it's as if this thing read my mind, stood up, and made itself perfectly visible in the most pretentious way. It almost had this vibe like, yeah, now you see me, you know I'm real, I definitely exist. What are you gonna do about it? And as soon as it happened, it kind of hunched over and made its way into the brush. I was out of there like a flash. As soon as my feet hit the tracks, I ran and ran the entire way back to my car, without stopping. By the time I reached my car, I couldn't breathe. Both my legs were locked up. I was vomiting and somewhere in between the encounter and running away, I had pissed myself. It's early Friday morning now and I think I've only slept for about 6 or 7 hours altogether. I've been constantly searching YouTube and all kinds of stuff, listening to eyewitness accounts, and it sounds like these things are encountered quite often. I've heard of the dog man before but never really took it seriously. Before the night of this encounter, I would always picture a dog man to look like some little skittish, coyote looking creature. Man! I love the woods and I love nature. The woods for me was always a safe haven I could venture into, to escape stress. Stress at work, bills, relationship problems. I could always take a nice long hike, go fishing or foraging and come home feeling 75% better. Now, I feel like I was threatened and kicked out of my second home. The only thing I can keep thinking is, these things aren't supposed to exist. I feel like a terrified little kid who just came face to face with the dreaded monster in the closet. You know, the monster your parents told you, no wait, assured you, wasn't real and couldn't hurt you. People need to be made aware of these things. They are as real as it gets and they are dangerous. Thinking back to what this thing looked like and how it was built, these things are perfectly adapted killing machines. The way the arms and legs looked. It looked like it was perfectly adapted to walk on all fours as well as on two legs, it was so quiet and fluent with its movements also. It's not like in the movies where the monster comes charging out of the woods, growling and snarling, these things are our masters of camouflage and they utilize the darkness perfectly. I didn't notice a smell from it, probably because the wind was on my back at the time, 
but it sure smelled me. Its nose was up in the air the whole time of our encounter, just sniffing away. This experience has torn a huge hole in me. Every time I eat, I get nauseous, I can't sleep for more than 20 minutes at a time, and every time I close my eyes, that thing is all I can see. I'm trying not to dwell in the fear, I'm trying to accept what I saw and what had happened, but it's hard. I'm really glad I found this group and found a few things on YouTube, so I know I'm not alone. I was an infantry platoon leader in the US Army at the time. My platoon and I were on a mission in Germany, somewhere around the junction of the Czech Republic-German border. We had been there for about two months, which is how long it took for our unit to transition from Iraq, where they trained Iraqi police officers, to Germany. We were patrolling the woods when we came to a clearing. I figured it would be a good place for my platoon to take a break from advancing through the dense forest. I went up ahead to scout out what was beyond that clearing. Something was troubling me about how quiet it seemed. Even the crickets, grass, and birds were all quiet. There was nothing, but I figured it was my imagination after the long time spent moving forward without stopping at all. As soon as I turned around, though, they were all standing at attention behind me, their weapons pointing straight up in the air. They had obviously seen whatever had startled them. When I turned around, all I saw was the clearing that seemed to have no life in it whatsoever. So then, I think maybe one of my squad leaders had probably seen something, maybe a deer or some other animal. So I asked them if they had just seen an animal. They all immediately denied seeing anything out of the ordinary and went back to taking their break. I was walking into the clearing to find where they had seen whatever it was that spooked them and I had only walked about halfway across the open space when I heard everybody screaming over my radios, move out, move out. That's all I heard. So then I start running toward where they are, but before I'm halfway there, I hear automatic weapons firing up ahead in our direction. And of course, being combat soldiers, they are trained to be constantly vigilant of their surroundings. So, of course, they are firing at anything moving in the woods around them or taking cover behind trees or logs if nothing else is moving for them to shoot at. But then there were multiple things moving that they could see. Everybody started yelling, enemy behind us. Or he's running toward you to your right flank. So everybody is firing in every direction. I finally get out there, and it turns out that my squad leader had seen one of these creatures run into the path only 50 meters away. He saw it earlier than everybody else but at first thought it was maybe just another member of our platoon. He didn't see the face hidden behind an overgrown mane, but when I got out there, I knew exactly what had startled them, and it wasn't any kind of animal like a deer or elk like I guessed. It was another type of creature, but neither me nor anybody else could figure out exactly what it was, although I knew, I just didn't want to admit it. We never found any tracks to follow or anything else that indicated there were more of these things around, although my entire platoon believes they were stalked by several of these things. So we figured this one must have been a lone hunter or something and got spooked when it got caught between both groups. About a minute later, the woods seemed to come alive with every type of woodland creature you can imagine, scurrying from one side of the forest to another. 
It seemed they were all trying to get out from underfoot as either us or them passed through their environment. So maybe this was something, I'm not too sure, but I can tell you I think it was a group of these things that were about to attack. Had my entire platoon not shot at these things, they probably would have pounced, tearing my men apart. I believe they were acting in self-defense, and I think they were fighting against these bipedal canine animals. Something mauled a kid. I don't know what it was, still don't to be honest with you. What I do know is I'll be dealing with this until the day I die. I got the call a few months ago in the fall. I'm a park ranger and while the brighter side of the job is you talking to happy families. Helping send the wildlife back to areas safe from harm, there's a lot to this career that can take a toll on you. This was one of them. I pulled into a clearing of a forest in New Hampshire. White pines and firs as far as the eye can see. Autumn made the hue of leaves turn to a carnival of colors as red maples glowed in the sunlight of midday. It was walks like these that made me take this job in the first place. I even wanted to be a park ranger when I was a child. Back when I thought all you did was get lost in the woods, hanging out with bears stealing baskets. It had a way of making you forget it all, taking in the view. Almost made forget what I was heading towards. The crime scene was at the end of a rocky ravine. Trickles of water spattered on the floor, a backdrop to the poor kid covered in a bloody tarp. I'll spare you the details but I saw the photos sent for the report. Even saw the boy myself. It was awful. Whatever did this ate its fair share. Everything not consumed came in tears with ill intent, scattering his remains around the woods. The animal must have taken its time shredding him to pieces. If there is a god I hope that boy died quickly. The more I read from the coroner's report however, the less I think it's likely. The parents were there to identify the body. The mother's scream seeing her child like this could be heard for miles. It sounded like gutting her alive was preferable to the pain she suffered now. Ugly crying with snot dripping as a dutiful husband stood by. Him using whatever strength he had left to hold her up, back from grabbing the pieces of her boy. Federal officers came in to assist us. All of us there were doing the best we could to ignore her screams of agony and get to work. Photos, collecting evidence and the like. Believe it or not people think we don't care. Unfortunately most of us do. I even know how easy it would be for it to be your nephew or brother in that spot. Seeing his face ripped on the floor, it can keep you up at night. That doesn't matter though. The parents crying would be far more distraught if they saw you weeping too. So you bite your lip, smoke, have a quick cry in the car when no one's looking. Otherwise, you just get back to work. In the middle of the commotion, I saw my old boss. He's an older man, stone-cut face from from the wind over years of hiking. A stocky build with broad shoulders, yet held by the hunched, curving spine of a man who could say he was too old for this. The pot belly earned from long hours looking over files at the local diner hung over his trousers. Longer hours were spent drinking a fifth in his car to keep the nightmares away. He looked over the scene with that gravelly face deep in thought. O'Connell. I waved him down, stepping around the photographers and family to reach him. Jameson, good to see you. He gave me a nod and turned away from the scene. 
I followed after as it was clear he had something to tell me, away from the morning couple near. There was something to show me as well. He pulled a manila folder from his wool-lined jacket and handed it to me. Looks like you're moving up in the world, this your jurisdiction now? Yep just moved me over to Hillsboro. What are you doing over here, although you worked back in Concord? I took the folder from his hand. I had a hunch of what was in it and I wasn't looking until he asked me to. I do. A long time ago this was where I started. Back when you could have a beer at lunch and nobody would bat an eye. I got a call about the situation and knew I had to come. This isn't the first time a kid's been taken. I opened the folder and sure enough there it was. Black and white photos of missing children in the woods. Ripped to pieces, entrails strung among the trees. Viscera which even in the faded ink was enough to make you sick. My old boss continued. We've taken trips to find it. No one's gotten a confirmed sight of the thing, let alone a kill. Sent 30 men, 50 yards apart with enough ammo to put down an elephant. All we got was two casualties and a scream that still gives me nightmares. The old folks thought it was some kind of demon. A curse on the white man for what our ancestors did to the natives when he sent them on the trails of tears. Can't say I blame them. I've seen how they live out west. We shipped blankets full of smallpox and slaughter, they send a monster in return. You sound like you believe it. I tried to joke, yet any humor fell flat on the stone face that glared with a knowing tired. He stepped closer, pointing at the photos, staring into my soul unblinking. I had to bury those children. Put on the rubber gloves to pick up the bits. Parents didn't have the stomach for it and couldn't afford a coffin. The fear in those dead eyes haunt me in my dreams. Now if you don't want to do the same, here's what I recommend. He gave me a list of instructions, the mother sobbing behind us now turning to an exhausted whimper. My pickup drove deep in the woods in wake of a setting sun. The camper shell and some tie downs kept the load I was hauling as even then it bounced while I drove down the beaten trail. The farther I went the less it looked like a road at all. First it was a lane, then it was a footpath, then there was none at all. I hopped out of my vehicle as the sky turned from crimson to a cool blue. The last vestiges of light shimmering in the trees. I thought I was lost despite following his directions with certainty. 50 miles off the highway you follow the runner's trail. When it ends take a look around. If the woods are ready for you, they'll make room. I didn't know what he was talking about. Anyone else would have written him off as a loon. He trained me well however. Back when I was fresh out of high school kicking myself over a girl. He showed me the trails, taught me all the rules, even showed me how to shoot. My father died in the desert back in Iraq. This old man was closest thing to a dad I had. All in all, I owed him a little faith. I looked back at the gifts he left in my front seat. A pack of smokes and a flask with a small note unfolded. Reading it over again I felt the mix of pride and pity emanating from his words. I'd go with you kid but I'm too old. Seen too many corpses of my own. Just do exactly as I told you and you'll be alright. Help yourself to these when you're done. Congratulations kid, you're going to need them. I looked around, playing with the pack of smokes. I flipped the lucky cigarette upside down like my uncle showed me when I was young. Third from the left.
we all know smoking is terrible for you. Even so, it's funny the things that old men leave to those behind them. I looked up, just about to head back thinking this was for nothing. Sure enough however I found what he was after. The thicket in front of me, a wall of saplings and branches now had a break. It started small yet as the sun went down and wind began to swell. The branches creaking as they gave way with all manner of twists and turns. It started slow. Slow enough you would have mistaken it for just the wind. In minutes however the way was clear. The very grass and weeds lay down along the path, inviting me further in. I hopped back in my truck and drove slow. I barely pressed the gas as the clearing squeaked me inside. I always heard the forest was alive. A great organism among the cells of bark and pine. I thought him drunk yet the old man was right. The woods made way to let me in. At the end of the path I found a clearing hid from civilization. There in my high beams was a cement flight of stairs. No debris from a house undone. No foundation to explain it being there. A lone flight of stone steps railed with an iron banister, curling into the night above. The steps ended sharp as they reached into the sky. Broken beams of iron pointing like curled fingers to the stars glimmering high above. The air had a severance to it, like stepping before an ancient temple. My hands shook as I stood before the stairway. Nothing prepared me for what I'd gotten into. And yet keeping my composure I walked around to open up the back. A corpse of a whole pig lay stretched across the truck bed. Its stomach hung open in flaps gutted as its blood seeped onto the tarp below. With all the strength I could muster I pulled on the tarp as it slid across the bed of my vehicle. It took five minutes before my efforts answered with the heavy thump of the carcass landing in the woods. Thank God the stink was minimal, the heat from the vehicle only beginning to let it turn. I dragged it still further before the steps, those stairs drawing me in with a strange magnetism. Inviting to see them more as the contrast of that cold stone was so stark to the woods around. Without thinking my hands even reached for it, yet the old man's words echoed in my head back from when I started. He was half drunk on a night watch for poachers back then, me too green to find it odd or even care. When he drank the demons would come to haunt him, or maybe they haunted him still. The man only drawing from his flask to numb their fingers on his shoulders. In one of his rants he told me plain. If you ever see a flight of steps here, don't even think of touching them. You'll never leave the woods alive. He pulled deep from the very flask now sitting in my car muttering to himself. I'm sorry Phil. I shouldn't have left you there to die. I never questioned it then. Now I saw everything with a cold certainty. I snapped back to my senses, pulling my hand away. I climbed in my truck, headlights glaring over the pig carcass before stairs that felt more like an ancient altar. I should have left like I was told. Leave the pig in front and don't come back till winter. Those were my instructions. That dead kid was still inside my mind however. The sad look in my friend's face as remorse weighed on his soul. I wanted to give those parents peace, every one of them. My hands gripped firm the weight of a cold iron. A black and gold revolver, with caliber large enough to kill a bear. I waited for that predator to snap at my bait, sure I was the one to put him down. I turned off my engine, quiet to lure him in. 
For an hour I rolled my thumb along the chamber of that gun. Waiting for the revenge I would take for all the murders it left behind. So sure that I would be their avenger. Certain that my act was one of justice and not of pride. It's funny, I only ever shot that thing at cans. The loudest scream I ever heard shattered the glass around me. My alarm blared filling those woods with the chaos that ensued. I screamed, covered in the broken bits of my windshield, but I did not run away. I did not cry or cower. Terrified still my actions were that of pure adrenaline. Stepping out of the safety of my vehicle I screamed into the night. Raising my firearm, blind and deaf to all that ensued. I had no idea where it came from, yet I fired that pistol in those woods. Again. And again. And again. Smoke from the burning powder filled my nostrils. Flash from a hot barrel blinding as echo and recoil had me stumble. My ears rang as the blasts mixed with the siren now behind me. I fired until my chamber went dry, and that was when it hit me. I turned to see an open hand of black across my face. Its claw wisped like smoke and shadow. Its color making even the night around us look bright in its comparison. The heavy thump of its strike knocked me down as though I'd been a child. My skull cracked against the ground and all went black around me. When I awoke there was blood across my eyes. Everything hurt as the world spun in my concussion. I reached for my face out of instinct as its painful sting awoke me. My fingers felt wet meat, dripping with crusted blood. I sat up unsure why I could not see. One I was full of haze and other I could not open. It wasn't long till I discovered I had no eye at all. The carcass was gone. Whatever that thing was had spared me, yet did not leave me unharmed. A warning to remember my hubris came in the surgery room, hours after crawling into my ride, finding my way home. Four long fingers on an open claw cut across the left side of my face. The index took my eye as its smallest left a scar across my neck. The last missing the vein that surely would have killed me. Forever I will be ugly. The scars from the flesh it tore unable to heal little more than the four canyon scrapes grinning like a Glasgow smile. I still work. Still walk through those woods. Still even make that drive once every season to that forbidden staircase. Dragging a pig or deer sometimes onto the dead grass that lay before it. Now I treat the place with the reverence it deserves. Leaving whatever roams these woods to its eternity. Ever since there hasn't been a single mauling. Just as there wasn't one in the years before. Some might call it sacrifice. Some ritual to appease an ancient god. Me, I don't know what to think. I just don't want to see any more dead kids. What I saw was definitely human, tall slender, maybe 160 pounds, with locally tufted fur hair on the cheeks and face. He was panting and appeared to be a male. He came around the corner of our house at the backyard area. Turned and looked directly at me. I had no sense of fear, in what could be termed a standoff. The dog man's eyes reflected, red light, from the retina just like a real dog. This experience came at a time of meditation in my life and was one of many otherworldly experiences. This occurred about 20 to 25 years ago. The form was more human than dog and was bipedal. 
I worked night shift and a co-worker and I were both driving down a county road after work, probably around 4.45 am, still dark outside. I saw his taillights get brighter like he was hitting his brakes, then he swerves down into the ditch line, and comes back out on the road and keeps going. As I approach the same area, I see this really tall, black figure walking in the road. It's moving in a very weird unnatural gait, like it was kind of blowing in the wind, but it clearly wasn't. I first thought it was a really tall person wrapped up in a big black blanket because I didn't see any arms or head, just two big legs and a torso. I had to swerve over to avoid it too, but I basically came to a full stop, and the thing walks past my driver's window. It had to have been around 7 foot tall, as it was leaning forward and was at least a foot or so taller than the top of my vehicle. As it got behind my vehicle, I could see the taillights illuminating its legs, but couldn't make out any details like hair or anything like clothing. Just large, thick, black legs. I took off down the road once it was behind me and saw that my co-worker pulled into a gravel parking lot, so I pulled up beside him. He's freaking out asking if I saw it, and how it didn't have a head, and other ramblings. I said we should go back and try to see what the hell this thing is, because it seemed oblivious to us driving right at at. He didn't want to, but he ended up following behind me. We drove back the way we came in and around the same area there was a large black dog laying across the road. This was not your normal size canine, it was much larger than any normal dog, but it looked dead. It wasn't there when we just drove through there less than three or so minutes beforehand. Anyway, I decided I was going to get out and go see if it's alive or not, and move it off to the side of the road because you can't really drive around it without going off the edge of the road on either side because the way it was laying across the road. As I get about 15 feet away, it raises its head up and looks back at me. Its eyes are glowing yellow, but I still say that was due to the vehicle lights causing I shine. It lets out a low, deep, rumbling guttural growl and I stop instantly. It attempts to stand up, seems like it has some sort of issues with its front legs, but it stands up and continues to stand up, on two legs. Like a person would. It only stood on its back legs for a second or two, enough time for it to look at me, but then it hunkers back down to what looks like on all fours and runs off to the wooded area. But there's a pretty tall fence there so I don't really know how it managed to disappear because it would have had to go over, under, or through the fence, or it just vanished. I also don't think it was using its front legs when it ran off, because I never saw them really moving. Now after all this, there was one last strange happening. My coworker gets out of his car after the dog thing ran off, and he comes up to me to basically say WTF was that, and as we are talking, I noticed a mouse standing between us. It was also on its hind legs, kind of sitting as it is washing its face. I nudged it with my shoe, and it doesn't even seem to care. Kind of like the first thing that was walking, it was completely oblivious to our presence. It just kept on cleaning itself. We left and went our separate ways. I woke up later in the day and started looking into werewolves and come across dogman stories. The only thing I will say about all of that is, this didn't have the hands and feet like is often claimed by witnesses. It had normal dog paws. It just had a large black wolf style look about itself, 
but its fur was really fluffy, which didn't really seem to match with the normal wolf-type fur. It wasn't a bear, it didn't have mange, I know the difference between a bear or something like that. It just looked like a very large black dog. The first thing we saw, some people said sounds like a Fresno nightcrawler but those have been white in appearance, and not nearly as thick and tall. Someone recently asked if maybe it had wings and that's what was concealing its arms and head, as if they were draped around the front of it. I never thought about that before, and can't say one way or another because I didn't see any sort of details on its body, just blackness. The way it moved just seemed very odd, otherworldly. I always think of those inflatable tube man that flap around in the wind at car dealers or some sort of events when I try to describe its movements. Just really weird. The mouse, that might the oddest thing to me because I physically touched it, so I know it was real, but it just didn't seem to care. It wasn't until recently I made the connection that all three of the creatures were on two legs at one point. Are they all connected? Who knows? I never saw anything like that ever again, and I only live about four miles from where it happened and I drive through that area often. I wish I had more answers but all I get is more questions. As someone who's been pretty skeptical most of my life, I've tried to explain it away in some logical manner but I can't. I have said the dog was playing with the mouse, must have got hit and its front legs were hurt, that would explain why it was walking on its back legs, and why the movement seemed unnatural. The mouse was traumatized from the dog messing with it, that explains why it looked all wet and why it was cleaning itself. That's the version I accepted for many years. The only problem with that is whatever was originally walking down the road was so much larger than the dog. When the dog stood up it was maybe six foot tall, but whatever walked by my window was at least seven foot leaning forward. The walking torso was also a lot thicker than the dog, as the legs were very thick, the dogs were normal dog legs. While working for the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources in 2017 I was assigned to investigate sightings of a particular deer in the South Kettle Moraine State Forest along the Ice Age National Scenic Trail. The descriptions suggested that the deer suffered from chronic wasting disease, CWD. There were three different reports, each stating that the deer was malnourished, severely injured, and had a terrible odor. My first thought was that the deer had been wounded and that gangrene had probably set in. The part of the trail where the deer was reported was difficult to access with a vehicle so I ended up hiking. The sightings were near one of the public shelters. The most recent report was made about 24 hours previous. I reached the shelter just as a thunderstorm began to roll in. I looked around quickly for the deer but the rain started to fall heavily and I decided to wait it out in the shelter. The shelters in this area of the park are more like little cabins, and used by backpackers. I took off my backpack and sat down. I was soon overcome by the stench of rotting flesh. It came out of nowhere and it was so strong that I was nearly gagging. I looked around the interior of the shelter to see if I could find the source. Then I thought I saw something move past the doorway, but when I peeked outside there was nothing. The stench then disappeared as quickly as it had manifested. I waited in the shelter for maybe another 30 minutes. The storm hadn't let up but the stench suddenly returned. 
I didn't know what was going on but I knew there was something terribly wrong. I can't explain how I knew, I just knew. I then heard something scrape against the side of the shelter. It was loud. I looked out through the window and I saw what looked to be white antlers. Now that didn't make any sense at all. It was early summer here in Wisconsin and bucks don't start growing their antlers until much later in the season. Even if they were early they would still be covered in felt. I figured this must be the injured deer and it certainly smelled like it was on death's door. I tried to get a better look out the window but the animal appeared to be moving towards the door of the shelter. Whatever it was I was about to see it soon enough. I couldn't shake the feeling though that there was something off about this whole situation. I removed the gun, a 12-gauge shotgun with slugs, I had packed in to dispatch the deer. I pointed it at the door and I waited. The doorway was dark because of the storm but I could still see well enough to know that the creature that walked into view wasn't an old injured deer. It was about twice the size of a full-grown male whitetail and its body was absolutely skeletal. Its fur was long and stringy like the kind of long hair you would find on a dog and parts of it were missing fur completely. But the worst part was that its head was a skull. No hair, no skin, just bone with the antlers attached and I didn't see any eyes in its sockets. I could see it had a tongue in its jaw and its teeth looked like those of a deer but the lower jaw didn't appear to be hanging on by much and I don't know what the thing was. It was standing there in that dark rain-soaked doorway before I fired at it. I hit that creature three times center mass and it ran away. It was weird because it didn't fall down and it didn't even falter a step it just ran. I waited another hour for the storm to pass before hiking out of there. I had never been so scared in my life. If a shotgun couldn't... Selling a little? Or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Stop it, there was nothing I could do if I ran into it again. I finally reached my truck I had no idea what to report to my boss. I eventually decided to report that I never observed the deer. I thought that if I reported the truth it would raise red flags about my confidence. Not long after that incident, I found another position within the department as a conservation warden. My father grew up in the Pleasanton or Christine areas of Texas, which is about 20 to 30 miles south of San Antonio in the Texas brush country. 
The Texas brush country is a huge part of South Texas. It's not necessarily desert, but kind of a medium between the oak tree or cedar tree forests of the Texas Hill Country and the almost desert landscape of northern Mexico. Miles of wide open ranch land, with loads of thorn and mesquite trees, with some oak trees sprinkled in for good measure. Growing up, we'd go down and visit family members in that region, and when the sun would go down, I always felt creeped out by the area. There are some creeks that make you swear you were in Louisiana swamps, with large trees hanging over the creek beds, covered in Spanish moss and giving the areas a very creepy vibe, especially at night. It's well known that there are now lots of wild chili pekin plants along lots of the rivers and creeks in this area because when Santa Ana's army were making their way to San Antonio before the Battle of the Alamo, the soldiers had with them chili pekin peppers to make salsa and add spiciness to their foods when they would make camp, and naturally, lots of the soldiers would drop excrement along the creeks and the seeds of the peppers would find their way into the soil and begin sprouting the pepper plants. Anyway, one of my father's uncles claims he saw a large winged humanoid bird with glowing eyes swoop down on he and one of his buddies while out at the lake known as Choke Canyon, fishing for catfish late into the night from the bank, without a boat. The story goes that it was around 11 p.m. or so on a Friday night, and let's call my father's uncle Robert and his buddy Chester. The two men had decided to go fishing for catfish and drink some beers and enjoy the start of the weekend with a nice relaxing nighttime fishing trip to the lake, which was about 30 miles from the town they lived. So Robert, having worked in construction and having worked that entire day, was feeling sleepy and decided to nap in the truck while Chester stayed on the lake bank, listening to the radio and watching their fishing rods that were casted out in the water. Uncle Robert climbs into the driver's seat of his truck and falls asleep. An hour or so go by, and he's rudely awoken by Chester, who is screaming and pounding his fist on the passenger window of the truck, yelling like a madman for Robert to unlock the door to let him into the truck cabin. Jarred and caught completely off guard, Robert unlocks the door and asks Chester, who is out of breath and panicking, what the hell is going on? Chester, clearly panicked and freaking out, says to start the truck up and for them to get the hell out of there, he said that he was chilling in his folding chair, and had just caught a small catfish and had thrown it back into the water and had sat back down in his folding chair when he heard what sounded like a large bird flapping its wings behind him. He stood up and turned around and there was a bird-like humanoid, kind of like a large crane-like bird with a human face and a beak-like mouth with glowing red eyes and a massive wingspan, something like 12 to 15 foot wingspan. So he turns around the seas this thing flapping just behind and above him and appeared to be readying to land right where Chester was sitting. These two were born and bred South Texas country boys, like my father, and had grown up in the brush country hunting birds, bobcats, alligators at that same lake, fishing and being common rural kids, so they had a lifetime of experiences with wildlife in that region and had never seen anything like it. Robert starts up the truck, and in the rearview mirror, illuminated in the red glow of the brake lights, Robert sees the large bird creature land behind the truck and begin walking around the truck over to the passenger's side. It was shaped like a man-sized crane, with thin long legs that looked like it would stand at eye level with an average height man and it was the creepiest thing he'd ever seen. 
That's when Robert knew that Chester wasn't screwing around and he throws the truck into gear and peels out of there. They end up getting back Robert's place in Chester and he both decide to spend the night together, shotguns in hand, until morning, which is when they decide what to do next. They ended up going back the following day, armed to the tooth, to retrieve their fishing poles, folding chairs, and other fishing gear, and found the footprints of the whatever it was that they saw, still fresh and in the sand around their fishing spot. This happened in the 70s so it was before smartphones with cameras. When my father told me this story, I picture something like a tall shoebill, but there's nothing like that in that part of the state. Maybe it just wanted to eat the fish that Chester had just caught? Following the incident, they would end up eventually going back to fish in the evenings, but they would be sure to take firearms for protection. I'm 27 now but when I was 17, just weeks from 18, I lived in a small town in Missouri called Pierce City. I had saved up a good 4 years worth of paychecks and sold my TV to buy a used Suzuki SV650. It was my dream bike. I went and bought it and my father helped me get it to our home because I wasn't legally able to ride it for another few weeks. I remember when we got home I put it in our barn and locked the barn because we didn't have a garage. I don't remember why I did it though it's a very small town and we knew pretty much everyone and are hours away from the nearest neighbor. I fell asleep about 10 pm or 11 pm and woke up at 3 am because I heard a large bang near the barn. I thought it was one of the horses that might have gotten spooked or something, so I went out to check. I always carry a buck 110 folding blade and when I got to the barn it was still locked. There are no windows, besides one way at the top, but it's a good 15 feet high and there wasn't a ladder. I unlocked the barn and walked in and my new, used, bike was on the floor. I heard a crunching or chewing noise, so instinctively I grabbed my knife there was very little light just enough to reflect the polished metal. I peeked into the pin, and I kid you not, there was something squatted over the horse who it had to have killed as it was a healthy animal and we took good care of it. I've seen wolves eat animals before and it wasn't like that it looked like the thing off Lord of the Rings, the cave dweller thing but taller and I know it was only a couple seconds but it felt like minutes of me being frozen there. Whatever it was looked at me I turned and sprinted back to the house screaming. I swear it chased me. It ran on all fours and screeched like worn brakes on a heavy vehicle. I must have awoken my dad as he met me at the door with his gun loaded fired two shots in its direction and then shoved me inside and shut the door. It seemed scared of the shots and we later dialed the police, though they found nothing. If you guys live near there and have heard anything of it, please tell me. It still haunts me and I live nowhere near there now. This one happened to my great-grandparents on my father's mother's side. They lived on their small cattle and livestock ranch in Christine, Texas for the later decades of their lives. Christine is a super small town where everyone knows everyone and there's no need to lock your doors when you leave or when you go to bed. My great-grandparents were the warmest people you'd ever meet, always smiling, sharing humorous stories with friends and family. They'd take your coats or jackets when you'd enter their warm home and before hanging them up on their coat rack, they'd sneak a $20 bill into your pocket for you to find later. 
They were the kind of older couple who were always poking harmless jokes at each other in front of company to entertain you, super charming and loving, and always smiling and loving the life they'd built for themselves. Visiting them was always a treat because I grew up in the city, and when we would visit on a weekend, my great-grandfather would take my younger brother and I around the ranch to see the animals and livestock, pet the horses, feed the goats, and throw rocks into the stock pond. When we'd return to their house from seeing the ranch, my great-grandmother would have our favorite, breakfast for dinner on the table. Fresh hash browns, farm-raised bacon and ham, homemade tortillas, mild and spicy salsas, and fried eggs. And coffee, always with coffee, even if it was dinner time, and we loved it. So this story takes place during the 1960s, not exactly sure on the year, but my great-grandparents were in their late 50s, and their children, my grandmother, were all grown and had gotten married and moved out so at this point, it was just the two of them living on the ranch. They were on their way home from visiting some family in the south side of San Antonio, about 70 miles away. They had lost track of time so it was late into the evening when they left. So they're driving back home, to their ranch near Christine, TX, and on their route they have to drive over this wooden bridge that extends over a deep creek. I think sometime in the 1980s, a better road was paved into the town that no longer made it necessary to have to take this small dirt road and bridge from the Highway 16 to their small ranch. Several years ago, the wooden bridge was torn down and a new bridge was built using steel and concrete. Spanish moss hangs from the trees which really makes it creepy, and from what I remember, this bridge is about 80 feet long from end to end due to the creek it expands over being relatively wide, underneath the bridge is a good 30 to 40 foot drop down to the creek bed. For the most part, the creek is dry year-round and only sees water flow during rainstorms. As my great-grandparents are driving over this wooden bridge, their truck suddenly dies and comes to a stop near the middle of the bridge. My great-grandfather starts swearing up a storm because he's tired, it's late, and they're still about 10 miles from home. He maintains his truck better than most and they had a full tank of gas, even the headlights and cabin lights shut off, so they were stuck there with only the moon bathing them and their surroundings in soft moonlight. My great-grandfather was born in the brush country of South Texas, so there's not much he hasn't seen out there, and in this situation, while most people might be a little intimidated to leave the safety of their vehicle, my great-grandfather was in his element out at night in what is essentially his backyard. Thinking it has to be a battery connection that came loose, my great-grandfather asks great-grandmother to hang tight, pops the hood and opens his door, stepping out into the cool night to check under the hood and hope to diagnose the issue. As he's struggling to see, fumbling with the battery connections under the hood, behind him he hears the sound of clip-clops on the wooden bridge, it sounded like steps of a hoofed animal approaching him from behind. He turns around and lets his eyes adjust to the dim moonlight to see what's making the noise. Maybe it's a deer, or a cow or a goat that's gotten loose from one of the other ranches in the area. Squinting, he's looking down the bridge and sees what appears to be a thin man, about five and a half feet tall, but with a set of very large ram horns on his head, walking upright, approaching him from the opposite end of the bridge. Its hoofed feet clip-clopping on the wooden bridge as it's steadily trotting towards him. 
A cold chill ran up my great-grandfather's spine and he quickly shut the truck hood and hops back into the driver's seat, slamming shut the door behind him and locking it. My great-grandmother, confused by his sudden reactions, asks what's going on, and my great-grandfather points at the humanoid that is slowly approaching their vehicle. She sees it, and reacts with what the hell is that? A goat? Watching it approach them and their vehicle. They can see that the horns on its head are very large, much larger than any ram or goat they've ever seen, but still cannot make out whether it has a ram or goat's head or a human's head. It's about 20 feet from the front of their truck when it hunches over and begins walking on all four of its cloven feet. They can only vaguely make out its features as it reaches their vehicle and begins circling them, my great-grandparents twisting and turning in their seats to watch it as it bobbing its head up and down, pacing around their truck. It doesn't ever touch their truck, it only slowly saunters around their vehicle, with the only sound in the night being its hoofs clipping and clomping on the wooden bridge. Though it was dark, and difficult to make out its exact features, they both agreed that it had the body of a skinny bony man but with the head of a goat. They both said that the creepiest part of the encounter was watching its large horns bobble around the front and rear of their truck, unsure if it was going to do anything to them and how it felt like an evil or demonic entity, that they could sense it not being a normal animal, but a creature with evil intent. They hold their breath and don't know what to do, and my great-grandmother, being very Catholic, begins praying quietly under her breath. On its fifth or sixth time walking around their truck, it stands back up on its hind legs and meanders towards the opposite end of the bridge from which it came, eventually disappearing into the black night and leaving them in the truck, frightened and shaken. A moment later, like clockwork, power is restored to their vehicle, and my great-grandfather starts the truck up and peels out of there making a beeline for their home, where they rush into the house and grab firearms, and spend the rest of the night locking all of their doors and windows and got no sleep that night. When we were younger, my cousins and I would go and visit what we believe is the same bridge, I'm not sure if this was the actual bridge where this apparently took place, but it was very similar, and we would park our truck, get out, and thrill ourselves by walking around out there after dark with flashlights and embrace the creepy ambience, armed with shotguns and rifles, of course. My great-grandparents never saw anything like that creature again, but from that night onward, my great-grandfather always kept a loaded shotgun and a pistol in his truck. I live in Hautstuhl, Rheinland Pfalz, Germany. This occurred on June 4, 2017. I suffered a headache at around 11 p.m. So I decided to go to bed. I entered my bedroom and my head began to feel heavy and my eyes began to hurt with intense pain. I got into bed and almost instantly I fell asleep. What seemed like seconds later I heard the TV and the PlayStation 4 turn on downstairs. Upon hearing this I thought maybe my wife was home from work. I realized that couldn't be possible because she didn't get off until later that day. Fully aware of what was going on, but obviously still tired, I tried to get out of bed but found myself unable to move at the slightest. Sleep paralysis had been common for me throughout life so at first I wasn't too worried but this was different. 
I began to panic and try to force myself out of this paralysis but every time I used energy I heard a voice inside of my head tell me to stop moving and sleep. I knew the voice wasn't my own because, at the same time, I was talking to myself in my head, almost yelling, saying, wake up now. This battle with the other voice, which almost seemed to control me went on for about 15 minutes until I finally had enough. I said a quick prayer and promptly rolled over onto my back trying to catch my breath when suddenly I saw it. Please be aware that the incident happened in a matter of seconds so I'm trying to describe it as best as possible. Directly in front of me on my window sill was a small figure. If I had to estimate it was maybe 3 feet tall. I did not see any eyes because the room was pitch black, but the silhouette of the figure was clearly visible because of the light that showed through the blinds. I believe it had its back towards me, one hand was raised and there was a bright blue almost white light that was casting through the window onto it. A quick flash was emitted and the being was gone, almost instantly that the being had left that my headache, eye pain, and fatigue also left. This experience has truly changed my life. I have had other incidents in my life that now that I look back on after doing more research I believe were other visitations and or abductions. I appreciate you taking the time to read this and if anyone could offer me help or insight, I'd be very grateful. My father, who was working as a construction contractor, had a work crew leave a job site in a panicked frenzy once because they saw a Bigfoot-like creature in the creek behind the house they were working on happened at a house they were building a two-story garage at in the hill country a little bit north of spring branch texas i think it was around 1998 i was around nine years old my brother was six the house that they were working on was on a piece of land way out between blanco and spring branch my father told us that the work crew called him from a pay phone at a gas station in Bulverde around noon and told him they weren't going back to the job site until the following day because they were scared shitless and if it would be okay for them to bring some rifles and shotguns to keep in their trucks on that project until they were done. They were a no-nonsense group of Mexican and Honduran laborers, hard-working guys who would be at the job site from 8 a.m. until sundown, busting their asses in the hot sun to earn a decent paycheck. Apparently, around lunchtime, after the crew had eaten and were resting in their trucks and in the shade of some of the trees, one of the guys went down to the creek behind the house to take a piss and explore the property a bit until it was time for them to get back to work. Behind the house was a sloped wooded area that led down to a nice little shallow creek. It was here where he said he saw what he thought was a big brown bear peeking around a tree at him. Naturally, he got a bit spooked and started slowly backpedaling to the house up the hill, trying his best not to make any sudden movements and to not take his eyes off of this bear. As he was making his way back up the steep hill to the house job site to where the rest of the guys were, the bear ran from behind the tree and darted across the creek and into the woods on the other side. That was when the worker got a clear look at it and saw that it wasn't a bear, it ran upright on two legs and had the build of a large man covered in dark fur. When he saw it run and realized it wasn't a bear, that's when he broke into a frenzied run to the rest of the guys, screaming at them to get into the trucks and for them to leave. They were a little thrown off by him but he jumped into his truck, and peeled off, 
and the rest of them saw how scared he was and quickly followed him in their other two trucks. Before doing so, however, I should explain that among the natives of Canada, both Indians and Eskimos, there is a shortage of marriageable girls. Probably a similar condition exists among the Sasquatch, thus explaining the action of the wild giant in this case. I should also like to add that although her present-day photograph hardly bears this out, the evidence of her contemporaries goes to show that in her girlhood, Seraphine Long was considered one of the most comely girls in her tribe. Here is the story, I was walking toward home one day many years ago carrying a big bundle of cedar roots and thinking of the young brave Qualic, Thunderbolt, I was soon to marry. Suddenly, at a place where the bush grew close and thick beside the trail, a long arm shot out and a big hairy hand was pressed over my mouth. Then I was suddenly lifted up into the arms of a young Sasquatch. I was terrified, fought, and struggled with all my might. In those days, I was strong. But it was no good, the wild man was as powerful as a young bear. Holding me easily under one arm, with his other hand he smeared tree gum over my eyes, sticking them shut so that I could not see where he was taking me. He then lifted me to his shoulder and started to run. He ran on and on for a long long time, up and down hills, through thick brush, across many streams never stopping to rest. Once he had to swim a river and then perhaps I could have gotten away, but I was so afraid of being drowned that I held on tightly with my arms about his neck. Although I was frightened I could not but admire his easy breathing, his great strength and speed of foot. After reaching the other side of the river, he began to climb and climb. Presently the air became very cold. I could not see but I guessed that we were close to the top of a mountain. At last the Sasquatch stopped hurrying, then he stooped over and moved slowly as if feeling his way along a tunnel. Presently he laid me down very gently and I heard people talking in a strange tongue I could not understand. The young giant next wiped the sticky tree gum from my eyelids and I was able to look around me. I sat up and saw that I was in a great big cave. The floor was covered with animal skins, soft to touch and better preserved that we preserve them. A small fire in the middle of the floor gave all the light there was. As my eyes became accustomed to the gloom I saw that beside the young giant who had brought me to the cave there were two other wild people, a man and a woman. To me, a young girl, they seemed very very old, but they were active and friendly and later I learned that they were the parents of the young Sasquatch who had stolen me. When they all came over to look at me I cried and asked them to let me go. They just smiled and shook their heads. From then on I was kept a close prisoner, not once would they let me go out of the cave. Always one of them stayed with me when the other two were away. They fed me well on roots, fish and meat. After I had learned a few words of their tongue, which is not unlike the Douglas dialect, I asked the young giant how he caught and killed the deer, mountain goats and sheep that he often brought into the cave. He smiled, opening and closing his big hairy hands. I guess that he just laid in wait and when an animal got close enough, he leapt, caught it and choked it to death. He was certainly big enough, quick enough and strong enough to do so. When I had been in the cave for about a year I began to feel very sick and weak and could not eat much. I told this to the young Sasquatch and pleaded with him to take me back to my own people. 
At first he got very angry, as did his father and mother but I kept on pleading with them, telling them that I wished to see my own people again before I died. I really was ill and I suppose they could see that for themselves because one day after I cried for a long time, the young Sasquatch went outside and returned with leaf full of tree gum. With this he stuck down my eyelids as he had done before. Then he again lifted me to his big shoulder. The return journey was like a very bad dream for I was lightheaded and in much pain. When we recrossed the wide river, I was almost swept away. I was too weak to cling to the young Sasquatch but he held me with one big hand and swam with the other. Close to my home, he put me down and gently removed the tree gum from my eyelids. When he saw that I could see again he shook his head sadly, pointed to my house and then turned back into the forest. My people were all wildly excited when I stumbled back into the house for they had long ago given me up as dead. But I was too sick and weak to talk. I just managed to crawl into bed and that night I gave birth to a child. The little one lived only a few hours, for which I have always been thankful. I hope that never again shall I see a Sasquatch. That is Seraphine Long's story, the only one on record of a Sasquatch ever abducting an Indian girl. I could relate more instances concerning the wild giants of British Columbia, seemingly well-attested cases that I have collected over a period of many years, but in this article the few I have recounted must suffice. In December 2005 the witness was on his way home, near Norway, Iowa, late one night after work. He almost always walked the train tracks because they were a straight shot towards the house. These train tracks ran past an old settler cemetery that was alleged to be haunted. It's already dark and has been so for a few hours. There was no moon that night. As he walks near the cemetery, he starts hearing muffled footsteps behind him but doesn't think much of it. Plenty of other guys walk home this way as well. So he keeps going and the footsteps get louder and louder. About midway past the cemetery, he gets nervous and the steps are getting closer so he turns to look behind him. According to the witness he saw a goat man or the devil himself. He describes this thing as a man who basically had goat hooves and horns along the lines of the mythical pan. And this thing was heading straight for him. Reportedly all the snow around this creature was instantly melting as it walked through. The witness runs screaming like a banshee. He hears the clopping of the beast's footsteps behind him speeding up to catch him as he's running. Finally, he gets past the graveyard and sees the thing stop right at the edge of the cemetery. He continues running, stops to look back and the beast just vanishes. One of his older co-workers confided with the witness that there was a tale about a goat man many years ago. It was supposedly a Polish immigrant who disappeared one night but returned as the creature several years later. There had been UFO and strange being reports around the same time the man had vanished. My parents have told this story to me numerous times throughout my life and both of them and my older brother corroborate this story in exact detail. They seem genuinely terrified of what happened and they have told very few people about this experience. In the summer of 1990 my mom, 31, dad, 35, and brother, 15, attended an Aerosmith concert in Ohio. 
After the concert the three of them were walking to the parking lot and a huge crowd of people. My parents were standing on one side of the street about to step off the curb when they saw two hooded figures across the street. By the time their foot hit the pavement the figures were directly in front of them. They seemed to float without feet and moved from one side of the street to the other in an instant. The next thing they know they are standing alone, not in the exact same place that they were, with their arms outstretched from the elbow palms facing up and their hands and forearms are tingling. They made their way back to the car and no one else was around. The parking lot was empty except for their car. My brother was sitting on the bumper waiting for them and said he had been waiting for them for about two hours. My parents have no recollection of what happened during that two-hour period. My brother says that he was walking and he turned around and they were gone and he just went back to the car and waited. Two weeks after this incident my mom finds out that she is pregnant with me. They believe this may be the reason they were approached. I personally have never experienced anything unexplainable like this but I do believe their story. I have never known them to make things up and they are not psychotic. They believe this encounter was some kind of extraterrestrial being. I believe their experience was genuine but I'm not certain that aliens are the explanation but I'm also not ruling it out. This happened in a post-concert crowd with hundreds of people around. Has anyone had a similar experience or any insight on what could have happened to them? I can still feel the icy grip of fear clawing at my heart every time I think back to that ill-fated hunting trip in the cursed woods of Kentucky. It was a day that would forever haunt my dreams, a day when my faith in the known world was shattered, and the boundaries of reality were pushed to their limits. The woods in Kentucky had always held a sinister reputation among hunters and locals. They spoke of strange happenings, eerie sounds, and an overwhelming sense of dread that seemed to permeate the very air. But for a group of seasoned hunters like us, stories of curses and ghost stories were nothing but campfire entertainment, until that day. We were a group of five, including me, Jake, the unofficial leader of our little expedition and my lifelong friends, Mike, Tom, Sarah, and Mark. We had ventured deep into the heart of the supposedly cursed reserve, seeking the thrill of the hunt and hoping to prove that the legends were nothing more than superstitions. As the sun dipped below the thick canopy of trees, casting eerie shadows upon us, we decided to split into two groups, with each group pursuing different game, deer and ducks. It was in that fateful decision that our nightmare began. My group consisted of Mike, Tom, and me. We ventured deeper into the woods, our rifles at the ready, scanning the surroundings for any sign of prey. The air was thick with tension, and an eerie silence hung around us. Then, as we entered a small clearing, something caught our attention. It was a presence, a feeling of being watched that sent shivers down my spine. I exchanged nervous glances with Mike and Tom, and we silently decided to investigate. Our eyes widened in horror as we saw it, an unknown predator, a monstrous creature that defied all logic and explanation. It had to be at least nine feet tall, with shoulders as wide as four feet. Its stringy hair did little to conceal the bulging muscles beneath, which flexed with each movement. Its thighs were as round as tree trunks, and it had hardly a neck to speak of, 
with a head that tapered into a cone-like shape. Its long arm swung menacingly by its side. I would describe it as a half-gorilla and half-Neanderthal man-type animal, a grotesque amalgamation of the prehistoric and the otherworldly. We were paralyzed by fear, unable to comprehend the monstrous being before us. Our rifles were clenched tightly in trembling hands, ready to fire, but the creature seemed to sense our presence. Its head turned slowly in our direction, and its eyes, dark and soulless, met ours. Time stood still as a shiver of dread washed over us. In that heart-pounding moment, the creature began to run, its massive form moving gracefully on two legs. Panic overtook us, and we opened fire, but our shots missed their mark as we fired blindly in sheer terror. The creature showed no signs of injury, and the deafening roar of the gunshots only seemed to fuel its relentless pursuit. In our desperation, we abandoned our rifles, the very tools of our trade, and ran for our lives. The woods, once familiar and inviting, had transformed into a labyrinth of shadows and horrors. We pushed through thick underbrush, our hearts pounding in our chests, our breaths ragged. Finally, after what felt like an eternity, we stumbled upon another group of hunters. Breathless and wild-eyed, we recounted our harrowing encounter with the unknown predator, but their skeptical expressions greeted our story. They dismissed our story as an overactive imagination or the stress of the hunt getting the better of us. But we knew what we had seen, what we had felt deep in our bones, a creature that defied all rational explanation a nightmare lurking in the depths of those cursed woods.